Good morning once again from the Crucial Conversation, coming to you uh, pre-recorded uh, from Knoxville, no, Kingsport, Kingsport, yeah. Kingsport, Kingsport, Tennessee, where we've been going around, and if you guys haven't been watching our social media, now is the time to watch our social media, because we've got some fantastic interviews about to come up. We've already, uh, Tony's already made some uh, uh, promo videos, but enough about that. Let's talk about what we've got going on today, because it's time to take care of a little bit of business talk about some sponsors because without these sponsors none of these podcasts would be available and we want to remind everybody since day one with a crucial conversation we've had Lazari's Italian Oven as one of our sponsors if you're in the Jonesboro area and you want some Italian food that you that the Jonesboro area has been dependent on for the last 25 years you need to call Lazari Italian Oven today at 870-931-4700 also, we would like to give a big shout-out to Anderson Heat and Air. Brian, this guy's legit. Didn't he just come work at your house? Yes, he did. And how was the quality of work? The heater went out, and then he showed up, and it started working right. He walked in, and he said, hey, this ain't how it's supposed to be, and immediately had that thing working. Well, I'm so thankful for such a good sponsor that we have no shame in plugging because of the quality of work you get. Call 870 870- Six six four one nine six seven. Tell Nat Anderson the crucial conversation sent you, and he'll take care of all your needs. Call Nat Anderson today at Anderson Heat and Air. You got a bunch of extra money, and building putting in a new heater is not any issue for you. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to do that. You can just get a whole new home. Do what you need to do is you need to get a hold of Dustin Thomas at Live Oak Realty. You can get uh, get in t- contact with Dustin at eight seven zero five two zero two five two two. And you can also go online. You can look at their online inventory of some different little houses they got on there. Uh, Not just little houses, but some big houses, good houses, whatever you want. Whatever you're in the mood for. Whatever. You want something with the metal roof shingles, don't matter. Dustin Thomas is your go-to guy on real estate. Also, our final ad for the day before we get into this podcast is the Drifted Drum Company. This is the real deal. We got a book out. We can talk about how we can turn pain into a message, sorrow into a message. Brian, this book is just legit. Go on there, type in promo code CRUCIAL, get 10% off your entire purchase. You get a free companion journal. While you're there, shop and see what else she's got going on. April Jones, we thank you so much for sponsoring week to week. And guys, just please do us a favor and uh, give a shout out to those who give shout outs to us. Thank you so much for listening to the Crucial Conversation. Brian, tell us about what what we got going on this week. All I can say is if the intro doesn't hook you on this one, you're just dead inside. Enjoy this episode. Listen to the Crucial Conversation podcast. That is when I would say I was at the peak of the depression, the the worst of it, July through August, mainly July. Um, That's when I was probably the most suicidal sat in the living room one night while my wife and my two boys are sleeping in the room with a pistol in my hand, ready to do it. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.
It's December the 7th, and I just now got done watching two heavyweight boxers box for the heavyweight championship of the world. It was Andy Ruiz versus Anthony Joshua, and Anthony Joshua reclaimed his titles in his title rematch. And from the beginning, those guys were swinging for the fences. And I think that we just want to start this podcast of the new year off swinging for the fences. And so I'd like to welcome Andrew Beavis to the podcast. Andrew, we have just met literally like five minutes ago. We've hardly said two words to each other. We sat down to do the recording, and this is our introduction. And so right out of the gate, I want to ask you, if I were to take 10 random ministers from any church organization that's out there, we can forget UPC, ALJC, I'm talking about as a whole. Just I were to select 10 random names. In the year of 2019 that we just now came out of, or by the time this is coming out, we've just come out of, how many of those ministers do you think in 2019 suffered with depression and suicidal thoughts? That's a good one. That's coming. You're not messing around coming right out of the gates on that one. Um, that's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, suicide and depression and those things is very prevalent in our world today. Um, it, it's very clearly a, a tool of the enemy that he uses it very effectively. But out of those 10 ministers, in the, in just random ministers out of the Christian world today in the U.S., I would say probably seven or eight. Out of 10. Out of 10. At various levels, yes. You know, some may have just had a couple bad days, and some may have been at the other end of the spectrum, but I think um, seven, eight probably battled with some level of depression at some point in the year 2019. So why do you think that is that it's almost hypocrisy to be able to talk about that in the church? I think it goes back to back in the earlier days that if, if you were having issues like that, well, it, it must be your walk with God. You're doing something wrong. Your walk with God is not right somewhere. You're sinning somewhere. And I think that's been the mindset for a long time. And I believe it's still the mindset at some levels today and so, especially at the ministerial level, it's very, it's almost taboo to admit that you're having issues. I'll, I'll just be honest and upfront, uh, and we can talk, we can get in depth, as much depth as you, as you want. But I myself struggle with that, and I had a very, very hard time admitting it to my own wife that I was struggling with uh, anxiety and depression. So why, if someone is that way why is it that uh you can't even talk to the ones you love um about something so important i don't know if i can speak uh about other people but so i'll I'll speak for myself i was ashamed and i don't know why um i I do know why actually I, i felt for such a long time you know i'm a pastor's kid born and raised in this you know born on saturday sleeping on my King James Bible on, on Sunday and teaching Sunday school the next Sunday type situation. Um, I felt like, and I had great parents, obviously my dad was my pastor for the longest time, and my dad raised me very well, I believe. But So I was always taught to have a strong mind, be, you know, be a man, have a strong mind. So I always felt like all growing up that I was I had a pretty strong mind, so that when I felt I was getting weak, it was it was a it was a point of ego for me. That no, and I used to, and I'm ashamed of it now. Like almost kind of judge people who are like, well, I'm depressed, and in my mind, be like, well, you know, you just need to get over it. Like pray about it. You know, the line we've all heard, pray about it and get over it. 
But when it came and hit me like a truck, like I went to some people and apologized to them and said, hey, I know this is something you've dealt with, and I, I'm dealing with it now, and I'm sorry. Even though they had no clue I was, you know, judging them. But for me, it was a point of ego. I was ashamed because I felt like I had a strong mind. And the Satan, the enemy used that ego as, as his entry into my mind. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that um, you look at, at people like Elijah, who just comes off the mountaintop, doing a, a, a tremendous work for God, demonstrating that Jehovah is the one true God of Israel. And in the next chapter, then he's praying for death. Yeah. That he has, he's so high up on the mountain, but when he comes down, the fear of, of the culture, the, 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 the leadership of the culture that day coming after him, the fear that he has and all these different things. I mean, he goes from the highest of highs down to the lowest of lows. And and one thing I heard a minister say years ago is that if you were around the church long enough, you will begin to see every Bible story play itself out in some way and that you will see individuals that typify these different characters. And I think that there's a lot of ministers out there that are probably even listening to this podcast that have been up on the mountaintop on a Sunday night in the hurrah of the service, the choir was just right, the guests were at church, people were getting the Holy Ghost. You didn't get a letter under the the office door um, giving you any kind of bad news or whatever. But Monday morning, you just woke up and felt a heaviness. And by that night, it's, why am I even doing this? And, and I think everybody will face at, at some time that high and that low. And, and, and I, I guess the key is to find there, is, there needs to be some sort of balance in there. And it's going to be hard that all of us will have to do it, but that mountaintop and that valley, somehow finding a way to have what you received in the mountaintop lift you up out of the valley. What, what, do, you, what do you think? What, what does a minister need to do? And let's even take it beyond that for a moment. Just a regular individual that that may be listening in, what could they do to try and bring strength back to their mind? The one thing, and you're you're exactly right, living on the mountain is just not realistic. It's great when we're up there, and I love looking paint off the ceilings because I'm jumping so high (laughs) as much as as the next person. Mm -hmm. And the valley's not, the valley's, that's not realistic either. You can't live in the valley either. So you've got to find the balance somewhere on the side of the mountain is where reality is. And I still struggle with it today. I believe God has healed me of it completely. He healed me of that at North American Youth Congress this year, and I'm thankful for that. But the enemy still tries to sneak in and puts those thoughts. What got me through it, and um, my pastor helped me greatly with this, is learning how to pray against the enemy realizing the authority that you have through the power of the Holy Ghost and and the Spirit of God that lives within you and learning how to pray against the spirit of wickedness and the spirit of depression. And it's a spiritual battle. I believe that 100%. It's nothing short of that. So the one thing, the verse that I would just quote over and over and over again that would get me through and on those days, the two verses, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. Unless you all got a different Bible than I do, I don't see a list of exceptions of what type of day it has to be. It says, this is the day, mm-hmm. and you, the Lord has made it, and you will rejoice. And then the other one, I believe it's Psalms, where where David's talking about, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. 
sorry. Yeah, when you talk about um, how at North American Youth Congress you were healed of it, describe to me that moment. What was going on, and how do you know that that was the time that you received that uh, spiritual healing? It was through my wife, actually. And first of all, what is NAYC? North American Youth Congress, uh, for those who don't know, that's the largest um, youth uh, gathering um, in the United Pentecostal uh, Church International, uh, anywhere from twenty-five to 30,000 attendees. That happens every year. If you've never been, find a way to go. It's in St. Uh, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Next Indianapolis year. next uh, in 2020, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's every two years. So it'll be 2021. Yeah, something like that. Whatever. The Whatever. year that we make America great again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever year you see it advertised, uh, you go to it. It was honestly through my wife, and I was honestly, that whole July, August was a very difficult time in my family for a period of a number of reasons. That is when I would say I was at the peak of the depression, the, the worst of it, July through August mainly July, um, that's when I was probably the most suicidal. Um, I sat in the living room one night while my wife and my two boys were sleeping in the room with a pistol in my hand, ready to do it. Um, but I remember at North American Youth Congress, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this like depression mode, so I'm not really wanting to worship, but when you're in that type of atmosphere, it's kind of hard not to. So I'm doing my best to worship. I'm doing my best to kind of like struggle through it because I want to be there. I want to be part of the service. I want to enjoy all the things that, that's going on there. And I remember, I don't remember what night it was. I believe it was the second night. It had been Thursday evening. Um, we were there with our youth group from Calvary Church. Um, we're not the youth pastors. We're the hyphen pastors, but we had went with the youth group. And um, I think it was during worship service. My wife leaned over to me, and thankful for her, she it's always very in tune to the voice of God. And um, she loaned to me and said, God will heal you of your depression tonight. But you have to have, uh, and I, he won't care if I'm saying his name, you have to have Drew Piercy pray for you. And Drew Piercy is, 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 a, uh, is a kid in the youth group, you know, a good, good kid in the youth group. And so I think that was God saying, hey, I'll heal you, but you got to get over the ego thing. So having, you know, the hyphen pastor at Calvary Church, having to go over to a kid in the youth group and say, hey. And you and my wife says, you have to tell him why he's praying for you and what it's about. And that was hard. That was really hard to do. That was really hard for me to walk over to a, a kid, if you will, in the group and say, hey, will you pray for me? I'm struggling with depression and suicide. But my wife said, God told her you'll hit He'll heal me if you pray for me. And uh, I'm thankful for Drew because he was he was in. I couldn't tell you what he prayed about and the words he said. But it felt like you could literally feel the chains break, something snap in my spirit. And it was instantly gone. Instantly a load lifted off my shoulders. What do you tell the, um, or what would you say to the minister or the average person or the the saint that sits on the back row that struggles with letting their pride down for healing, what would you tell that person? Tony, you know me. I'm, I'm pretty blunt, even in ministry. Is, is it worth it to you? Is it worth it? 
if you knew for a fact that God would heal you, if you, you just got to put the pride aside. Get over yourself and put the pride down. And I'm preaching myself as much as anybody else. And I would tell more, more specifically to the ministers slash pastors, find your pastor in your life and talk to him. And it's okay to go see a counselor. It's really okay. What do you hope to pass down to your two boys going through what you've went through? What do you hope to instill in them? I think sometimes men are, it's okay to be weak sometimes. I remember one time I, my son was, my oldest son Charlie was, was he's four, so he was at most four years old whining about something. And I was kind of coming down hard on him one day, and I told him, hey, stop crying. Men don't cry. And then I caught myself, and I said, oh, hold up. Men don't whine. It's okay, completely okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to let things go and, and, and talk to your spouse. My biggest um, hope for my son is that they be men of God, who are strong men of God, but know when to be weak in the right moments. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you just started talking about uh, men don't cry, and, and and that certainly is a um, – there's like that Tom Hanks movie uh, where he's talking to the – it's actually like a group of girls or something that they're on a baseball team. He's like, there's no crying in baseball. Oh, yeah. Like there's this thing about you got to be – tough and, and you can't have any tears um while you were saying that i pulled up a tweet that one of our friends and and an uh, individual that's been on our podcast um tony mccall yeah a good friend um, of ours pastor tony mccall he tweeted this out one day ago he said the eye doctor just informed me that my eyes are not producing enough tears dry eye disease is a progressive deterioration with no cure she went on to explain that tears are ver- vitally necessary to maintain proper vision Ladies and gentlemen, that will preach, and I agree, that absolutely will preach. And, and there's something. There's a, a pastor here in Arkansas, uh, pastors in Little Rock, and he talks about how the criers are the ones who get it, that the criers are the ones that win. And, and I think that that emotion of being broken before God and to the level of awe of God that tears form, I think that is just as that tweet says, it's vitally important to our spiritual vision in order to see what God's wanting to do in our life and being able to humble ourselves before him so that way that he can give us guidance and direction for our future. Um, and I know that's something that I struggle with. I mean, there's not a, there's not a man born of his mother that doesn't struggle with ego and pride. And, and I've struggled with it as much as anyone. And, and I'm sure Tony, you probably, probably, probably about the same. I don't know. Thanks for speaking for me, but maybe you're more hum- <laughs> maybe you're more humble than I am. Of course, I've always been humble for those who know me. <laughs> I like that. That is such a that's such a, a humble statement. A humble statement <laughs> by you. And no, you're you're exactly right. God, he gave it to women as well, but he God gave men egos. Oh yeah, that's how that's what gives men the to the the get up and go to accomplish things. That's what drives men to accomplish great things and it's given it to women as well I'm not discounting that but I think that's a struggle for men specifically Mm -hmm. the Bible talks about lust a lot in the Bible and sometimes it means you know sexual immorality 
but a lust is anything God-given that we try to satisfy outside the will of God. Sexual immorality being probably the most prevalent one that we, that our minds automatically go to. But uh, in in the book of James, where he, in James chapter one, where he's where he's he's kind of given the process of sin. You know, process isn't just this one momentary act or one single act in time. It's it's a process leading up to the moment where you sin. Lust is just anything you try to satisfy outside the will of God, and ego is one of those things. And it's it's I think men struggle with it more than anything, and uh, and that's that's something God has dealt with me a, a, a great deal amount here as of late. Uh, actually, I just remember at prayer, our Monday night prayer meeting, a, a week or two ago. I can't say that I was specifically praying about anything, you know, specific, and it was just probably this sounds bad, but just kind of your average prayer meeting. I'm just praying and kind of going through my list and. And the you know the normal things I, I pray about, but there's a song um, that's really been kind of in my in my heart at my heart lately. It's it's by Maverick City Music and it's called Refiner. And I've been praying that song and it's it's a hard song to pray because it says, "I want to be tried by fire. I want to be refined and purified." And I was kind of praying. I had my headphones on, kind of praying that song and singing a little bit quietly, of course. Uh, and I remember. God just spoke and said, well, you got to bow before me, Andrew. You struggle with this. You have to bow before me. Can you bow? <laughs> I didn't tell my wife this. He said, can you bow in, in front of me right now? You know, we're at, we're at prayer meeting. There's 30, 40 people milling around praying. And I did it, but it was one of the hardest things to do for me. And I, I'm ashamed to say that, but it, God said, you've got to learn to bow before me. Why do you think our generation, specifically in ministry, has such a hard time with um, pride? <clears throat> There's a book written by—it's not a book. It, it, she turned it into a book. Her name is Jean Twinge. Um, she took her doctoral thesis. It's called Generation Me. You may have read it, but she turned it into a book. It's it's actually a very interesting book. It's not a Christian book. There's some cursing in it, but it's an interesting book, and it's called Generation Me. Um, I hate to like dump on my own generation, but it's just the generation. That's where I like it all the time. We we we're we're an entitled generation. We have been given things all our life, and I'm thankful for those things given to me. But w- w- so we, we think we deserve certain things, and we won't work for certain th- certain things. And for most things, we're entitled. We're an entitled group of people. So you you did a lot like me, Andrew. Um, people who don't know, Andrew and I uh, are from the same area. Um, good friends from back in the day, and but our paths yet so different yet so much alike uh you 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 transitioned away from illinois as did i um however you made it back i'm not going to give my family hope and say hey look <laughs> this is where i'm headed but You're coming back brother go for it <laughs> heard it here first uh, but uh you you went back and you know i want to ask you a little bit about some bivocational stuff um because you are very heavily involved in ministry and I want to kind of just kind of touch on that a little bit. Uh, whenever you left Illinois for the first time, you went to Atlanta, 
correct? Correct. And um, you attended Atlanta West. But the reason you went is not necessarily that God called you there, but because you were following uh, your employer. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you have to keep your priorities in line, uh, even though you're following for carnal reasons. You want to make sure that it's also in the will of God that you follow that. Yeah, so a little background to kind of help with context. Um, my career, I'm in the building regulatory uh industry. That's where you yawn right there, Brian. This, this is when you can start yawning. This is when it gets real exciting real quick. Did I yawn through Tony's whole ass question? <laughs> um, so I, I started, I went to architecture school. I have a bachelor's degree in architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to, you know, uh, school, bounced around jobs, finally got into the career. I'm trying to make this a short story. Ended up starting as a building inspector for the city of Mount Vernon. Worked there for several years. And uh, very involved uh, at our, where we go to church now, Calvary Church, with, with Pastor Edwards. Very involved. was the youth pastor, hyphen pastor. I was the Section 3 youth director. So very involved within the district. I loved every minute of it. Uh, but I had an opportunity to come up at a, at a company call, call and recruit me to come work for them. And it, it, it involved moving to Atlanta. So me and my wife are both from the same area. Family's all here. The whole kit and caboodle. We're all we're all in in Southern Illinois, in the 618. And uh, so uprooting my family, I had, I just had, we just had the one child at the time, Charlie, was a big deal. And for me, it just felt right. And I've told our hyphen students this a lot. God will often use your career to put you where you need to be in ministry. Um, I didn't know I needed to go to Lano West. I didn't know that. So God needed to provide a way for me to go to Atlanta West. And um, we just started praying about it, and we had to make a decision quick. We had to make this decision within a couple days. And so we were obviously praying, fasting, talking to our pastor. It just felt right. It just felt everything lined up. It just felt right. And within a couple weeks of being in Atlanta, started attending Brother John's church in Atlanta West, we knew we were in the right place. And we had been there a couple months, and my wife leaned over to me on a Wednesday night service and said, hey, God just told me we're here for training. We're going to learn a lot of stuff here. I don't know how long we'll be here, but this isn't a permanent place. And so hearing the voice of God is probably the most important learning to know his voice is probably the most important advice I can give to someone who is well anybody honestly um but if you're bivocational minister because and we can talk about the biblical view of work um and and if we want to but I believe that you regardless of what you're doing you are to give it the absolute best as if God is your boss and now that I'm on the other side of things and we're back in Illinois, I see why we had to go to Atlanta. Not only was I learning stuff about administration of church and you know all things ministry from Brother Johns, who's, who's a great pastor and running a great church there at Atlanta West, was I was put in situations in my work job being and started as a residential plan reviewer and working myself up to the chief building official for the city of Atlanta. 
I learned so many valuable things there in that position, in that leadership role that directly affect ministry. I became a better writer in Atlanta because in my job I had to write very technically and very accurately because if I don't make a right decision, I mean, people die. I mean, you know, stuff, stuff can happen. So I took it very seriously. So I became a better writer in Atlanta. And now when I came back to Southern Illinois, Brother Edwards put me in a new position as, as the small groups pastor at our church. And now I, I write, and now my new position with a new company, I, that is literally my whole job is that I write. That has helped me so much. And learning to hear the voice of God and knowing his voice, and I believe is the most important thing when it comes to work and career and balancing it with the ministry. Because ego coming back in, man, in my industry, I know that may not mean, mean a lot to you, but man, at 30 at the time, and I'm the chief building official of the city of Atlanta, man, I was hot stuff in my mind. And I was walking around like it was hot stuff. And God says, no, I'm done here. You're done here, Andrew. It's time to go back to Southern Illinois. <laughs> Big difference. Pride, well, no, <laughs> God, you put me here. Yes, I did, but you're done here, Andrew. I need you to go sit. I need you to go back to Southern Illinois. I will provide. Don't worry. Your, your ego will be stroked. You'll be all right. You'll have a nice job. But it's a very hard balance to maintain. Um, but if you do it with the right spirit and the right humbleness, God can use that bivocational. You know, he said go and make disciples. Go. And I tell our hyphen students all the time, the biggest witness you can be is be a good worker. You work, you show up early, you stay late, as long as it doesn't interfere with church. If the boss asks you to do something, you do it. You do your best. I don't care if you're, if you're at McDonald's, you make the best stinking double cheese that's ever you know been between two pieces of bread or if you're building airplane you know and everything in between you be the best at it that is the biggest witness especially for someone who's younger and we need to get some of those kids down here at our mcdonald's (laughs) (laughs) bosses will pick up on that and they and when you go and leave jobs you will have bosses like almost on their hands and knees begging you to stay because it's fine it's hard to find good help yeah, let's talk about that for a little while because we talked about this a little bit at lunch today um, because of some situations that's happened um, with my company. And whenever David was found to be called king, where was he at? Yeah, he was with the field with the sheep. He was working. Working. He was working. And you know what? After he found out he'd be anointed king, what did he do? He went back to the sheep. He continued to work. And so many times whenever we think that God has called us to do something great and extravagant, that means, oh, great, I can quit my job at McDonald's and I can go into this full-time, both feet, and I no longer have to get my hands dirty. If you think that's the case, you're completely you've been taught wrong or you've been reading the wrong kind of material or going somewhere that you really need to just double check make sure everything's good because God has put us on this uh, planet to work. I I firmly believe that. And 
to help build the kingdom and be a part of something greater than uh, what we just do ourselves. We're we're in this for a common purpose, and there's so many, especially our generation that we've been talking about is finally Brian. We all we I guess we're all the same age, but it's our generation that thinks, oh, I want to just put on my uh, sweatpants, my sweatshirt, stay home, Netflix order some pizza and not have to worry about anything and maybe uh, a certain president will get voted in and all my debt will go away and I shouldn't have to work for nothing everything everything should be given to me if we continue that kind of mindset and carry it into the church what kind of church do you think we'll have there won't be a church right so talk about talk about the importance of working for the future of our church we see work in Genesis right off the bat before sin, before the fall, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. He says to maintain it and to take care of it. It's, I'm paraphrasing that verse, but it, it, it says work and maintain the garden. That's work. Um, the ministry is hard work. It's very hard work. And as for the future of the church, you can't sit at home. People will not kick the doors off your church and walk in. If you think that, I'm, I'm sorry if you think that, but that's just not going to happen. We are all called to be ministers, and everybody's in, in various capacities. If you're called to be a full-time pastor, amen. Great, do that. Go do what the Lord's called us to do, called you to do. If God has called you to be a hard worker and provide for the kingdom, do that. You're to be ministers. So if you own a part store, a car part store, be the best car part store in your town. Because every transaction that you have, you're selling someone wiper blades. That is an opportunity to make a disciple. Because at some point they're going to come back in and buy more mm-hmm. wiper blades and buy spark plugs and buy air filters and oil filters. So, you know, I'm going to go down to Tony's car part store. You know, because he's just a good guy. He treats me right. He gives me fair prices. He ain't trying to gouge me. That is laying the groundwork for making a disciple. If you own a restaurant, every interaction that you have in your work um, capacity is an opportunity to make a disciple. I remember when working in the city of Atlanta, there was a gentleman, uh, two gentlemen that worked there. They were uh, Muslim. Probably my two best friends in while I was in the city of Atlanta with these two Muslim gentlemen. Great guys. All the other Christian folk, quote-unquote Christian folk, that I worked with at Atlanta, I didn't hang with them because they were a bunch of jerks. Or they were, like, pounding me with their Bible. Hmm. And they're, well, we don't talk to Muhammad. Why? Muhammad's, like, a really cool guy. He's got a really bunch of cool stories. He, like, won the citizenship lottery in Bangladesh. That's how he got here. <laughs> citizenship lottery. They literally, they, had and a, they shipped him out. <laughs> they literally, you can apply and win like, like, and that's how him and his whole family got here. Super smart. Structural engineer guy. And we became really good friends. Our desks were next to each other. And he was a devout Muslim. Great guy. Uh, observed Ramadan. I mean, devout. Would go to his Friday prayers. And I was, I would always, rec- I commend you for being so faithful. You know, there's a lot of people that can't do that. 
and he he would go through Ramadan. And he would just be, man, I'm so thirsty. And I'm like, man, I know, but hey, man, st- stick to it. You know that that makes you a better person. It makes you more character. It makes you a better person. And we became really good friends. And I remember when his then one day he was always a happy guy. One day he's at his desk. You can tell he's you can tell he's upset. He's he's kind of crying a little bit. And I said, what the Muhammad man? What's what's going on? He said, man, my 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 father passed away suddenly. His whole family lived with him. His father passed away very suddenly. That was literally God kicking the door off the hinges for, for an interaction to make a disciple. And I said, Muhammad, man, I'm real sorry for your loss. I know that's rough. It's got to be hard. I said, Muhammad, would you care if I prayed for you? Absolutely, Andrew. Yes, please pray for me. And he, he knew I was Christian, and I prayed for him, and it was the most Jesus name uh, prayer I could pull out of my soul praying for peace and direction during this time of loss and I don't know if Muhammad will ever come to the truth and I pray that he does but there's been a seed planted now that no one else could that no no people would take the time and just become a friend so if you're not at work if you're not working if you go to work and you're lazy and a bad worker you've ruined your testimony you've ruined your um, ability to make those disciples and to um, uh, to make an interaction happen. And with that, that means that every single interaction has to be an intentional interaction. And it's unfortunate, but hearing that, that means you're no longer allowed to have bad days. Yep. You're just not allowed to have bad days. You're not allowed to have off days because the weight of the disciple-making process, the soul-winning process rests on if you're working in a retail something like that and somebody's coming to you to engage with you for the two and a half minutes or however long the transaction is it's a two and a half minute window that a witness can be either established or lost so you don't get to have bad days it's unfortunate that that kind of pressures on us but when you raise your hand and say god here i am use me that's what you're raising your hand for. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's this Brian Hurd guy? He's only been doing a podcast for six months, but let me go ahead and give one opinion to something we talked about before. I don't think the pinnacle of ministry is making it to full-time position. Like you, you said, thank God if you're elected as a pastor to a full-time job, there are some churches that are large enough they, they need the pastor there full-time. But I don't think that our idea of mindset of ministry is, well, if I can preach at this church and I do good enough, then he'll tell his friends about it. Right. And then he'll, he'll, his friend will book me the next weekend, and then I'll be drawing 500 extra dollars or however much dollars every, every weekend. And if I can do that and if I budget just right and then I don't no longer have to – I don't think that's the pinnacle of ministry. I think that's a door that's open to some people, and when the door opens – when God's calling you to it, you got to step into it. But I don't think that should be our mindset in the beginning no. of this is a means to an end. My ministry here, I'm serving this guy right now because if it works out, he'll tell somebody about me, and I'll be able to position myself into this, this, and this, and then I no longer have to go to work at wherever it is that you're working. It's a self-serving purpose. Exactly, yes. And, it, you're, and really, a lot of it, I think, gets into kingdom building. I think Terry Shock says it best when he says everybody is a kingdom builder. It's just a question of whose kingdom. Exactly. And and I think there's a lot of people out there that their intention and their ends and of of ministry is uh, to build their own kingdom. And um, 
it's actually kind of funny. There's this uh, pastor that <laughs> uh, he's not uh, UPC. He actually is a bishop over his own organization. It's a it's a oneness apostolic organization. But I watched one of his videos just for the entertainment because he says he he he's very uh, unique in his ministry. But he did this this debate against this uh, trinitarian minister, and the whole time it, it was. It was it was entertaining. I was the best way to say. It. Well, whenever it gets done, the Trinitarian minister leaves, and he looks at the camera and points his finger in the camera and says, "All you bishops of that organization, I'm calling you out next. Don't you think it's time to prove to your members you deserve that Bentley? <laughs> oh my! You deserve Lord. that mansion." And so, uh, <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with with that, but but. The, 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 there is obviously a financial benefit sometimes in ministry, but I don't think that should be our mindset at the beginning. Right. I remember telling somebody that uh, <clears throat> about how this person's in ministry, they make a certain amount of dollars, and um, this person said to me, they're like, well, if um, you think there's money in ministry and that's what you're in it for, then I'll, I'll catch you next week. I don't want to talk right now. You yeah. know, because the the reality of it is, that if God's called you to do something and you don't see it possible, there's always going to be a way that's made. And God's proven that to us time and time and over and over again. And um, I'm thankful for that because whenever, like I said, there's there's no way that it could be done or no way that it's possible. I encourage our listeners right now just just to have faith and trust in God. Okay, so you just said to all our listeners to have faith and trust in God, and that reminds me of something I wanted to tag into earlier. We talked about with men, we, we really struggle a lot with the idea of ego. Well, there's something else that you just made mention of that is a big struggle for men. It's trusting and having faith because men, not only are they very egocentrical, but they are very skeptical. And results-oriented. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, so, so with you, whenever you're in these positions where God's calling you to make these transitions, a, as a man that has skeptical tendencies, I'm assuming, because I think, again, every red-blooded man has uh, a little bit of skepticism in him. How is it that, that in those moments of God doing something, or like Tony's saying, these different things where God makes the, these ways and, and, and th- circumstances we face where we just don't know what the future holds, and we're supposed to just trust with God, but yet we want to be sti- statistical and say, well, how is that going to work out? How do we manage those moments? I was literally, you know, I, I'm actually glad you brought that up. I was literally on the way down here last night. I was typing up. You know, we're preparing for, you know, every every church is right now preparing for 2020, where all the minis- different ministries were getting our one-year plans together and so on and so forth. And so I was working on the vision for small groups in 2020 for our church. And, and I was kind of just, because we have a small group leader coming up, small group leader meeting coming up this week, this next week, and I was just getting my agenda together and getting my notes together. And I was just, I'm trying to, I'm just giving them like a real brief view of the vision for 2020. And the one one of the things is I wrote is that you have to admit that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, that's the truth. And as a man, mm-hmm. as a father, as a husband, and I actually have that in my notes, and I even wrote, like, I know that probably doesn't create a lot of trust in me right now. I'm sitting up here as your small group pastor and saying, hey, I have no clue what I'm doing. And I don't mean that, like, I, I don't read the Bible and I don't study and I don't show myself approved. But when you can get to that place and say, God, 
I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm literally, I'm winging it over here. I have your word. I'm I'm completely dependent on your word. That's when the miraculous can and will happen. I remember you you talking about when we transitioned to Atlanta. It was so fast. You know, the, the the adrenaline's pumping and flowing. You know, I remember we made the decision to go. We packed up. I remember having Charlie's one-year birthday party. We walked out of his birthday party there in Duquesne, Illinois, walked right out to the U-Haul truck, which is packed up, ready to go, and drove straight to Atlanta. And, of course, our families come down, help us move, help us pack, get everything unloaded, and it's Sunday. And I see her. My parents are still there. They were going to be there for a day or two, but I'm really, really close to my in-laws. And my in-laws get in their van, and they drive away. Man, I'm eight hours away from my family. I, I just re, I just uprooted my family. We're eight hours from the closest person that I know. And I remember like getting emotional because like I started getting skeptical. And I'm a I'm in the building, regulatory industry. I assume you're lying to me. You know, I assuming you're not telling the whole truth when we're when we're talking business. And so I'm very skeptical. My job requires for me to be skeptical. And I remember like breaking down in my father's car like. Dad, am I doing the right thing? And, you know, and he's, my dad's a pastor. He's like, you know, just, hey, if I can't make this decision for you. And I remember in that mode, I, I just kind of, a prayer came over me, and I kinda just, it kind of turned into a song. And it's, it's three lines. It's, Lord, I love you. Lord, I trust you. I put it all in your hands. And, and God's been dealing with that, has been dealing about that with me for ever since then. And when I get in those moments of, I'm going, I'm stepping into something new, I, I, and I can have that. I have no clue what I'm doing moment. Lord, I love you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I put it all in your hands. And when you can pull Andrew Beavis out of it, when you can pull Brian or Tony and say, out of your own self and say, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm fully relying on you. That's when God says, all right, thanks. Now I can actually do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I wrote it because I wrote in my notes, there's only one thing that can stop the moving of the Spirit in the will of God, and that's us. Absolutely. God says, well, I'll just go over here and do it with somebody else. And I wrote that. Wrote that down in my notes, and I said, we will be the only hindrance of the, of the moving of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But we have to have those I have no idea what I'm doing moments. This, uh, this notebook that I have, I, I used to write in it pretty frequently, and I got out of it. So I've had this notebook for a while. I think that I've had this. I'm um, trying to look early on. I know that I, I didn't, I wish I'd put dates and things, but I know like the first time I went to Because of Times, I, a lot of these notes are from that and kind of my review back from it. But regardless, early in, in this journal that I have, which I'm almost halfway through it now, um, there is one page that I devoted to one message, and that is, God, please don't ever let me forget how much I need you. Yeah. And... And I think that that is, that is absolutely key, um, which it's funny because I'm just now looking the page just before it. It was a journal t- entry on 8:23, and it says, I felt incompetent today, standing and knowing I can't answer the prayer of those in need. I don't have the words to bring comfort, but I know that God has all that I don't have. And so, uh, and wow, I didn't even know that was in here. But um, 
I think that it's absolutely important that every one of us gets to that place where we come to the revelation yes. that God is God and we're not. Um, I think so many people, and I think it's this kind of new age Christian, you know, me me and God are homies mm-hmm. and we hang out all the time. It drives me nuts when people say, like, yeah, me and God are hanging out. And, I, I mean, I'm not judging, but I get what they're saying and I understand it. Right. But, uh, oh, I can't think of his name there. Preach a message on having the right perspective of God. Um, he's from Florida. Um, anyway, having the right perspective of God. He is God, God Almighty. And he, he spends a whole message of, of building this perspective of God and who God really is. And it is someone to be feared of his goodness and his graciousness. And when you get into, when you really get into the presence of God, pride will be uh, defeated will be eliminated and you the only proper position to be in is on your face in the floor yeah. before a holy god and so i count it an honor you know you hear the people say well how 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 can a god that's supposedly so good and so gracious with all seven plus billion people on the earth with so many cultures and languages and and all these different things only create one way mm-hmm. you know to access him. And my rebuttal said, that's a good question, but it's not the right question. The right question is, how can a, a holy God who's so holy and so awesome create any way? Right. What is man? Like the Bible says, mm-hmm. who am I? I'm, I'm just a, I'm not even, you know, people say blip on the radar. I'm not even a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, you, you look at time, I don't even register on t- in time. No. Why does God give any hope to me? That's the right question. Yeah, so absolutely. If you could say anything to this generation that we've been talking about tonight, what would it be? Go to work. <clears throat> I don't know what that work is for any for people. It may be a nine to five job. It may be a, a midnight job. It may be full-time in the ministry, but you need to be working. Romans 14 very specifically talks about, you know, he who observes the day observes it in the Lord. He who does not observe the, the day does not observe it in the Lord. He who eats, eats in the Lord. We live in the Lord, die in the Lord. It paints a very pretty clear picture that we are the exclusive ownership of, of God. Um, and so everything we do... God has absolute claim on our lives. Everything we do is before the face of God, in reliance on his grace. Everything we do should be in according to his precepts and his guidance, and everything we do is for God's glory. Do everything like God is your boss. Work hard. Your pastor will notice. Your boss will notice, and we're not doing it for that. We're doing it for God's glory. But that allows God to use you in mightily in his kingdom. Listen, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a carpenter for way longer than he was a minister. What, two and a half years that he ministered? He was a carpenter for at least 30. Well, I doubt he was swinging a hammer at two, three years old. <laughs> but he, his father, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. He was in the shop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a wood shop. He was in the shop. I make Charlie help me sweep up sawdust. If you think... Jesus created crooked shelves and, and, and chairs with wobbly legs. You're absolutely nuts. Like, you're absolutely crazy. 
do everything in excellence. Yes, 100%. Work hard and do it excellently. Yeah, that's the that's the whole thing of of what the whole purpose of really everything is that God gets glory out of it. Um, everything that we do, um, you know, just being real and honest, um, and kind of tagging into the ideas of humility. Um, of course, every one of us in this room has struggled with it, and I'm, probably 100% of the listeners have struggled with with humility. But having to get yourself in prayer like I have just recently about um, having to submit your lives to a few things that are in the kingdom of God and and just the thought of having to humble yourself before a man of God or humble yourself before the plan of God, um, that's a struggle. It really is a struggle. It's, it's not – this is not a lifestyle for the weak. No. And the idea of, of submission showing infi- inferiority, or as Tony likes to say, in, in superior. <laughs> in superiority. <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that word he makes like up it. is. I like that word. That word he makes up. But, uh, Y'all keep hating. But, but submission doesn't mean you're inferior to someone. It, no. it just means that you're following the, the plan of God. Or in superior even. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't even mean you're in superior. You uh, need that covering in your life. God will never use you if you cannot have submission in your life, being submitted to a man of authority. I, I, if you're a pastor, you need authority in life. You need to find another pastor to put yourself in um, submission to. And me and my wife were actually talking about this yesterday or the day before, talking about I just don't let people speak into my life, and I've been— Oh, that's a big thing with me. I'm very, very specific. You know, people talk to you all the time. You're just like, okay, thank you. I appreciate (laughs) that. Like, you know, thanks for your word of advice. But you're not on the list of people to speak into my life. You know, my pastor speaks into my life. I I obviously let my father speak into my life. Um, Tony just lets any old person lay hands on him. That's not true (laughs) at all. That's that's something that... uh, uh, Brian that's, says that's that Tony's kinda, pet peeve. Oh yeah, that's oh. kind of Brian's being facetious right there because he knows that's my pet peeve. I don't want just anybody speaking into my life. I don't want anybody just laying their hands on me because that that is um, something that I want to guard my heart. I want to guard my mind. And I, if if your heart's not in the right place and if your your spirit's not where it needs to be, why would you transition that into somebody else? Like you said. Yeah. Like you just said, you need to find that pastor. Okay, so let's get controversial, Tony. Sure. And and I'm going to play the... Devil's advocate. People say the devil's advocate. I'm not going to play the devil's advocate. I'm going to play the Meredith. Because I know whenever you guys have these conversations (laughs) in your home, this is what what Meredith says to you. Yeah, let's go. I'm ready. Tony, how do you know they are not right with God? That is something that... uh, (laughs) Can I just be brutally honest? I mean, it's your podcast. This is the crucial conversation. So I went to a church service one time, and if you ever see me at a church service, and um, I better be very careful (laughs) if I say this, but I was at this church service Just say it once, and if it's wrong, we'll edit it, and we'll give you a second shot. I edited nothing. I don't want to hear nothing then. Let's keep talking. So this guy was talking, and uh, he was – saying some stuff I didn't agree with and 
uh, I had such a hard time with it. I was like, I need to get up and I need to go outside. What was the zip code? I'm not telling you that. <laughs> um, but uh, I I went outside because I needed some time to really just, you know, make sure that I was doing the right thing. And uh, it, long story short, I, I came back inside the building and this guy actually spoke into my life. And it's not that I didn't appreciate it because what he said did come to pass. Uh, however... I think there's an approach that you take. I think that there is a sincerity that you should take, um, a humbleness you should take, because that same guy who spoke into my life has nothing, nothing to do with any anything that's spiritual anymore. And it's, it's, it's there's whenever you have a relationship with God, there's an uneasiness that comes in your spirit whenever certain people or certain things start to occur. Um, I'm sure that you guys can definitely validate what I'm saying there. Um, you guys have, are both in the ministry as well, that you can feel something inside of you kind of shift when you're like, you know, something's just not right here. And that's why I've always been careful when I get that feeling just to just to make sure I know or I'm careful who is speaking into my life. That's why it's so vitally important to know the voice of God. Yes. Um, God will speak to us in many ways. Through His Word, through people, through promptings, through doors. Um, through pain, and number one, when someone says, "Well, you know, I, you know," they're not coming up and say, "Hey, I want to speak into your life." But when I, be, I believe, and I know God does speak to us through people. But number one is put it through the filter of the God's word. If anything is off at all, it wasn't God. God's never going to speak in contradiction to His word. That's why knowing the word is so vitally important and learning to know how God speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not being hard on those people who want to speak in my life. Come speak to my life, but I'm going to put it through some filters first. Oh, yeah. that's, that's The Bible is very clear. It's test all things. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm going to test it because I can't afford for that to be wrong in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Philip Flowers a while back. And he was talking about an individual that came to give him a word. And uh, whenever the guy came and said, uh, he, he gave him whatever the word was. And Brother Flowers was like, um, I don't doubt that you heard a spiritual voice. I just doubt that it was, it was the voice of God because there's many voices in the world that are none without significance. But the voice that this guy was operating under went through his filter and it was in contradiction to Scripture yeah. because it was coming to a rebuke to him. And he was like, scripturally, you're not to rebuke an elder. And so automatically I know that what you're saying isn't a message from God. And um, I think that's important that, that um, to have that kind of filter. Of course, you've got to know the Word of God, and then you have to have an experience Shocker. with God, know his the the tenor of his voice, and um, run it through a few of those filters. So um, to, to kind of just finish that up, I'm trying to find it because I, I won't quote it right, but I wanted to figure out who, who quoted it. Um, it was either A.W. Tozier or Charles Spurgeon. I was pretty, pretty sure it was Charles Spurgeon. He said, he said, pray that God not only teaches you the difference between right and wrong, but the most important is to teach you the difference between right and almost right. Hmm. Because 
there is an enemy of the soul, and he wants to look and sound like as close to the will of God as possible in your life. You've got to put it through the filter of God's Word. There's a really interesting sermon I recently heard from uh, Robert Tisdale. He preached at the Pentecost of Alexandria, and the sermon was entitled, The Enemy of Truth is True, and how he talked about how for years in the West, nobody ate tomatoes because they believed it was poisonous because the leaves and and the limbs of a tomato vine are poisonous. They will make you sick if you eat them. That was true. But the truth is the tomato could be used in so many different things from pizza to just straight tomato itself, all these things that enhances flavors of everything that it's with. And, of course, I don't personally like tomatoes. But anyway, but people out there, they love them. And, and an entire generation of people were robbed from the experience of the tomato because they were so caught up in what was true, they never experienced the truth. And where he was taking that sermon to was uh, the doctors tell you you have whatever disease. That may be true, but the truth is it doesn't have to be there and be the end of your life. The truth is that there is a God that can be a healer. Right. And as what you were saying with, with um, hearing the voice of God, there is the voice of good and there's the voice of God, and we've got to know which is which. Yeah. So as we wrap up tonight, usually we like to kind of give you an open mic, but instead I would kind of like to for you to touch on something that you just went through that has to be uh, one of the scariest things you've ever faced. Um, you have, like we've already talked about, you have two sons, and your youngest son, uh, you just went through some pretty traumatic situations with him. And I want you to speak on that a little bit and give encouragement and hope to those that kind of struggle with um, similar situations with their kids. Um, Because seeing me going through something or you going through something, I'd rather that be 100 times over than our kids go through it. Yeah. And especially because both of our kids are so young yeah. And they don't know what's going on, and they can't tell you what's going on. And for you to have to see that, I want you to talk to us a little bit about the the um, last few months with Emory. Yeah, so during – this is all happened uh, – this is all happening kind of right after Youth Congress. Um, this was – this all started on August 5th, and the only reason I remember that because the f- August 4th is my birthday. So I remember this all starting – my birthday was on Sunday this year, and this started on Monday. Um I was living in St. Louis at the time during the week, working and going home on the weekends. Um, Monday morning, uh, I had to be work at 7, so I got up pretty early. My wife gets up extremely early for work. Uh, she gives me a phone call, which we usually don't talk in the morning. You know, She's usually at work, and I'm still sleeping most of the time. Uh, but uh, she called me, and she was crying and said, hey, my mother and father just took Emory to the hospital. He's having seizures. Um, I do know you can drive from St. Louis to Marshall Browning Hospital in, in Duquesne, Illinois, in about 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> um, not usually. Not usually, <laughs> but it, it can be done. <laughs> and um, long story short, we went to uh, we got a, we got out of the hospital that day. Went to his normal. Uh, 
little doctor. The doctor decided to admit him to another hospital just kind of overnight just to watch him, just kind of make sure everything was okay. He began having seizures, a lot of seizures back to back to back. How old is he? Um, at, at, the at the time, he was just over a year old. He had just turned uh, a year old just a, 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 literally just a couple of days before all this started to happen. Um, he started having seizures back to back to back, and I have a video of one of the seizures, and I've showed it to people, and it's it's one of, probably one of the creepiest things you've ever seen. He just goes complete. It's not a seizure that one would think in their mind of violently shaking. He just looks dead, like he just goes completely limp. It's really it's really crazy. Uh, very quickly realized that uh, that at Carbondale Hospital it was kind of beyond their abilities, so they transferred us to um, Children's Hospital in St. Louis, where his um, seizures became longer and more frequent. Um, I think at the worst he was up to having up to 20 to 30 seizures a day. And, uh, you know, during that time he stops breathing. And, and so, you know, the doctors are there, the neurologists are there, they're doing all kinds of tests. Uh, when he would have a seizure, he would have some right side paralysis. So they were thinking, obviously, something's wrong on the left side of the brain. And they would never come out and say it, but I can read their faces. They're, they're thinking something major. Um, they were thinking cancer, structural issues in the brain, like a tumor or something. Um, doing the tests, he's having seizures during the tests. He's in the MRI machine having a seizure during the MRI. And I tell you what, that's when you learn how to pray. When, when you see your baby, I can imagine it's probably not easy, any easier if they're older, but when, when it's an infant going through that, you learn how to pray real quick, fast, and in a hurry. I tell you what, you can get a hold of the throne of God really fast. Um, I'm so thankful for our church. Um, it was a big, honestly, that Emory going through that was a big turning point in our church, and I'll, I'll save that story for another time. But... Our church began to gather around our family corporately. Um, we we put it on Facebook. We just wanted people to pray. Um, we we received messages from around the world that people were praying for Emory, and all the tests came back clear. God miraculously healing the the doctors would never say, but you could see the absolute astonishment and amazement on their eyes, or in their faces, and in their eyes that all the MRIs, everything came back clear, all the tests came back clean, and he just stopped having them. And we walked out of the hospital that day. Um, we were at the, we were in, that, 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 all that happened over a week of, um, over a week. Um, it was a very long week, very stressful week. Um, I got real close to God that week. We were really close. And I prayed those prayers, God, I'll take it, give it to me. That's, you know, that's my, that's my baby boy. You know, that, that's my baby. You know, I'm praying against everything I can think of, the spirit, you know, any enemy that I can think of, I'm praying against it. And and, um, and that's when I can honestly say I learned to hear the voice of God in, those, in that week because I was in a place where I was desperate. You know, there's, you know, there's no... There's no I don't think there's any greater feeling of helplessness than in those moments when I there is mm -hmm. nothing I can do but sit there and watch my baby boy have seizure after seizure after seizure after seizure. God is a healing God. He can heal. And out of that whole experience, I came out of it, and I had people say, well, you know, 
God didn't heal. I mean, we've had the haters. God, well, he just stopped having seizures. And I, I would look at those people. Uh, I heard this phrase a long time ago say, a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. I don't care what you say, but I saw my son miraculous healed, miraculously healed before my eyes in my arms. So, you, I mean, it's your opinion. You can do whatever you want with it, I guess. But you must hold on to God's grace. If your children are going through medical issues or, or it's you, know that God can heal you. I don't know what God's will is for you, but holding on to his grace, he will take you through the time. If he, if, he, if he never heals you, he will provide you with the strength to get through. I think it's, I, I can't remember what book the Bible it says, but uh, so, so such as your days are, there, your strength's going to be there every day. He'll give you strength and be, allow people to pray find yourself a support group and allow, allow the church to uh, come around you and pray. Do you, uh, oh, what you went through is, is something that um, nobody would volunteer for, but how do you think that is going to change you for your future? I can honestly say that's probably the first time a miracle has been done for me personally. You know, I've seen people healed, you know, other people healed. But that is the first time very personally for me. Not that I was questioning God that can, that, that, but now it is forever settled in my mind that God does and can heal and still does heal and do the miraculous. Seeking for vision for your next year, and and seeking after God, what is it that can you tell us some of the things that God is dealing with you with going into this next year? One of the main things He's really dealing with me is being very. We we talked about earlier about being very intentional with people. It's something I really have to deal with. I tend to get kind of just so busy with things, and I I tend to just cruise through days. And but I I've been really forcing myself to be very intentional with every interaction that I have out in the world with waiters and waitresses calling them by name looking at them making those connections and really setting a vision for my personally and my family's life um, I read the other day that we are not allowed to live a visionless life um, there's a story about Walt Disney um, you know, Walt Disney, I think, died in the in the winter of like '66, and Walt and Disney World was open sometime like in, in 1971. And uh, his son Roy, I think his name was, was sitting at the opening ceremonies, and a gentleman came up and said, "Hey, you know, everything looks great. It looks great. Oh, it looks awesome." He said, "Man, oh, I wish that your dad could have seen this." And Roy Disney looked at him and said, "He did see it, or you never would have." And I think it's so important to have vision in your life mm -hmm. where you're going. I don't know what the vision for our family is for this next year, and I'm, I'm praying that God. But God's been dealing a lot with uh, a lot of things going on in our church, good things where God's taken Calvary Church in 2020, and I want to be a part of that. And uh, just excited. Any book recommendations? Uh, yeah. 
um, I'm a person I have to like force myself to read. Mm -hmm. um, so the three, three or four books that have changed my life is Whisper by Mark Batterson. Um, it's learning to hear the voice of God and learning how God speaks to us. Um, Follow to Lead, uh, Brother, Brother Stan Gleason's book mm -hmm. is a phenomenal book. Radical by David Platt. And uh, if you're listening to me right now and you're a father of a son, the book you must go buy right now is King Me by, I can't think of his first name, but his last name is Farrar King Me. It's what every son needs and wants from their father. Um, basically, and I started reading this book, the book makes me mad because basically when I read this book, I'm, I realize how, like, man, I could be, I'm an awful father. Like, I need to be a better father. And just, it's very, it's a biblical book and it's, it's wrecking my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a phenomenal book, King Me. Give a message to hope to somebody. The Lord is good. The Lord is great. He, he does great things. And uh, the Lord will be by your side regardless of what you're going through. The Lord will always be there with you for, with strength for every day, walking forward through every day with strength. And there are days when it doesn't feel like it, but I pray that God restores unto you the joy of your salvation. And when you realize you're a gomer and Hosea is looking for you, that makes you feel pretty good and should give you uh, the junction to go look for other gomers in this world. Tony, if you could accomplish one goal on your list in this new year, what's that goal that you hope to accomplish this year? Um, I don't want to answer that. Um until I really dive into that. I haven't, honestly, if you want the, a true answer, I haven't really dived into what this new year I hope to bring to me and what I hope to get into. And so I don't want to answer that yet. Maybe we could do an episode about that. Yeah. Do you know what you want to do? No. <laughs> See, this year we no. have a great pun that will never happen again in time. It's 2020 vision, guys. Yeah. Can I have your vision for 2020? Uh, I don't want to hear nothing. we gotta take a, we got to take advantage <laughs> of this pun that is before us. Yeah, nice. so we'll, we'll come up with something, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's the corniest thing that everybody's going to do. <laughs> yeah, 2020 vision. Watch out, oh, Calvary yeah. Church. You might be seeing that in a presentation. <laughs> uh, a rumor is it's actually going to be ours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I don't know yet. It's December the 7th, 2019 right now, so. It hasn't been announced yet, so hopefully... Uh, Whenever you hear this, it'll probably be out, and yeah. so you'll be seeing about that. Yeah, but hey, listen, um, in life, I, we we sometimes we say things like, man, the devil's really messing with me. Yeah. And we're, we're really specific in that, in that the devil is really messing with me. You know... And there was a minister, Tim Gaddy, actually, uh, uh, Bishop Tim Gaddy. He actually was the one who said it one time that he goes, he said, you know, I don't think the devil has ever really messed with me. I don't think I'm important enough that the devil messes with me. But I think it's probably just one of the underling devils. He's like, well, the, 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 the devil, what we think of, he's probably really, he probably just deals with the people that are in power, the, the most influential people of the world, presidents and kings and and the system that the the devil has set up underneath him, all of these others that work for him, are probably the ones that are messing with our lives. And I thought about that I, when early in this podcast. Uh, I think in the, one of the opening lines, um, Andrew, you you talked about 
the Satan. And that's a biblical phrase. In King James, you don't really read it, but if you read outside the King James, when you read the story of Job, it says that the Satan was the one who was the, the accuser. I think everyone in our lives, though it may not be the devil, Lucifer, but I think every one of us has a unique that is the accuser in my life, yeah. the yeah. adversary of my life, the Satan of my life. And going into this year, all of us are going to have to fight against the Satan of our life. And through some of the things we've talked about, the key is, and it seems like it's just the basic, the norms, the bland, typical answers, have faith and hold on. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. And we think that's just so simple. That's so basic. That can't really be the answer. And we've tried to mystify an answer against our own enemies whenever I think that sometimes we can beat the devil with just those basic things. Because the devil, though he is a, a fierce adversary, he can be defeated with the simplest of weapons. This has been The Crucial Conversation.